Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It'd be a great day. I'm excited about it. I love Mondays. You know that. And I'm going to start with the verse from Isaiah, chapter 26, verse 3. You should know this for memory. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. It'd be a great show. Patrick Albany is going to come on in just a minute or two. And then Joanne Pittman, she's the senior vice president of China Source, and you just got back from five days in China, and then in the second hour, Ruth Graham, she's written an amazing book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. That's all today. We'll take 60 seconds and bring on Patrick. story to share we'd love to hear how faith radio impacts your life leave us a message on our faith line at 877-933-2484 i love faith radio and listen to it all the time and i'm grateful for all that you do and thank you for all that you do the faith radio faith line a place to share your story 877-93-FAITH that's 877-933-2484 It's the intersection of faith and life. Faith Radio. I've listened because of the talk all all day long, and I listen on my phone now on the Internet, so all the lectures and the speakers are what I listen to. From wake up till shut down, I I have it on. I listen to many of the programs, in the morning programs, the afternoon programs, and I just find it very uplifting when I listen to it throughout the day. Um, Well, for me, I listen on my commute home. Thanks for making us your radio home. Faith Radio. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Oh, you know that music belongs to Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from prestigious West Des Moines. Patrick, welcome to the show. Thanks. I go, of course, as you know, I love that music, and, and, and there are days where I say, I think I needed a brain. I mean, what are we, we're a couple of weeks into the year now? Yeah. 
a couple of weeks into 2020, and, and I don't write as many checks as I used to because so much is online, but I had a right one the other day. And sure enough, right there in the, the date spot, I, I wrote Year of the Dog. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, yeah. So how did, used my brain. <laughs> didn't you have a little bit of a storm? How did you survive that, that crazy storm last weekend, Friday? I refuse to leave the house. <laughs> <laughs> You're a brave man. You did the right thing. It just... Yeah, you know, you know, it's so funny because, uh, and it's it's easy to see how these climate uh, conversations get out of control, where people say, "Gosh, I never remember a, a winter where uh, it, it stayed so nice and we didn't have any snow." And all the way into January, it kind of doesn't matter what the weather's doing. People always say, "Oh, it's never been this hot, this cold, this snowy, this rainy." This, I think, do you even remember? You just don't remember. You don't remember. But, no, but yeah. that, that's the lens that people look through now. A lot of people look through that lens. We've never had it this cold, this snowy, this rainy, this everything, you know. So there's well, always a... I'll tell you one right now. Yeah. I, I don't ever recall ever being as hungry as I am right now. Does that mean... <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. It applies. Yeah, it applies. Yeah. I think I have been this hungry before, but yeah. 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 So. I, I get hungry uh, sometimes on weekends, and I get called sir once in a while, which is nice when they say, say things like, sir, don't you think you had enough, had enough free samples? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it, how, many, how many Costco's have you been kicked out of? <laughs> Let's just say more than five, okay? <laughs> there, I said it. Wait. Yeah, yeah, but you are willing to be an interstate traveler. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I think I'm, I'm an ambassador. I will. I will go beyond my normal boundaries. Yeah, I think if there's anything that will get me off of a restrictive diet, it's the free samples at the grocery store. Yeah. So I mean, like, what? I don't even care what that is. It smells good. I'll eat it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. I don't care if it's never been on my diet. I'm trying that. Right, right, right. It's not even an animal. It smells like an animal to me. I'll do it. Yeah, it's pretty funny. But I think what I'm trying to get to is this whole free stuff thing is something that uh, most people can't get enough of. Oh my! As you know, of course, we have the Iowa caucuses coming up in the next uh, few minutes. <laughs> it feels like a few minutes. It's actually a few weeks. Right. Uh, and and uh, the political commercials are through the top. And so, of course, the political discussions on all the social media go toward, you know, who are you supporting in the caucuses? And it's only the Democrats caucusing this time. And to watch these people go back and forth and you realize they're voting for the platform that gives away the most free stuff, except now there's a mixture of wokeness. So they say, well, I like that this guy wants to pay off my college debt, but I don't like that he once said something that seems to be uh, somewhat offensive to women. So I can't really support him, even though I like the free college, but I'm really a big fan of the free health care for all. And it's free, 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 free. So, you know, sometimes you say to yourself, well, people can't be falling for this stuff. Guess what? <laughs> It's very appealing to them, and of course it is, because if you're saddled with fifty or $60,000 in college debt and somebody comes along and says, how'd you like that to go away? Or I was even talking to a very conservative friend of mine the other day, a very conservative guy, uh, but he said, he goes, well, I like this Yang thing where he gives you $1,000 a month, and they don't need money. And he says, you know, I've looked at the plan, and it could work. I go, so everybody just gets money? He's like, it's a good plan. <laughs> I think 
do you just want the thousand dollars? Because I kind of do too. But, <laughs> but you know, there's a part of me that says, well, I know somebody has to pay for that. I know that that means that somewhere along the line, somebody's going to have to pay higher taxes because they, as last I checked, the government doesn't make anything to sell. <laughs> Right. Right. I think, I think. Yeah, they don't have a T-shirt shop. Nothing. You know. No, oh, they don't have a souvenir corner. Nothing. No. So, uh, yeah, it's it's. If we're having the battle of the free stuff. I wonder who's going to win. Well, you know, I don't know, but I, I heard the other day on the news about the immigration, which is a big, hot mess, and I don't know yeah. how it'll get sorted out. But if there was a sudden influx of two more a million people. Um, that came seeking refuge in America were all about giving everyone an opportunity. But if that level of people instantly poured in and there's free stuff everywhere, I mean, we are $23 trillion in debt. Yeah, yeah, and the number seems to be rising. Yeah, so I'm just I'm just trying to speak from a common sense standpoint. I want to also speak from a compassionate Christian standpoint that says, come one, come all, we'll take care of you. Then there's a side of me that says, all right, just common sense-wise, how do we pay for this? How, how do we pay for it? And, you know, Milton Friedman, the great economist, you have to say that after you say his name every single time, by the way. Uh, so Milton Friedman, the great economist, uh, said you can have uh, a welfare state uh, or you can have open borders, but you won't be able to do both. You can't do both because you'll go broke. Because as soon as people, if you have an open border that says anybody comes and gets the free stuff, then you're going to have, you're not going to believe how many people are going to show up. I mean, if, if you've shown up for one of those all-you-can-eat free pancake nights, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, uh, and I, I've worked in restaurants and uh, sometimes uh, when I was working in a Hollywood restaurant, there would be cast parties for some of the TV shows, for instance. And these were people that I had been waiting on all year, and I knew how frugal some of them were. But when the cast party came along and the company was picking up the tab, it was unbelievable the high level of ordering that took place and how much stuff got crammed into pockets. <laughs> Going, I'll take a Chateau, <laughs> Chateau Briand to go, and can you put a baked Alaska? You know, put the flame out, but uh, you know, throw me some matches. I'm taking one of those home. It was we we. It's it's like if if somebody said to you, hey, uh, you need to buy uh, presents for somebody over there, and you can either spend your own money or you can spend somebody else's money, what's going to happen to the quality of the gift when you're spending somebody else's money? Mm-hmm. Money goes uh, – it, it's the going gift, up. The gift goes up. The gift value. Right. It becomes very easy to say, you're not going to believe what I got for you. It didn't cost me a dime. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's I know it's such a hard struggle. How do I be a, a compassionate Christian wanting to help the unfortunate? Um, at the same time, how do we make sure that the boat stays afloat so that we can help people? Because if we sink the boat, then what do we got? Yeah. Then we're not helping anybody. Mm-hmm. Patrick Albanese is my guest. We're gonna take a short break. When we come back, lots more with Patrick. So glad to have Patrick Albanese, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. And it's a blessed Monday. I hope your day is going well. Uh, Patrick, um, interesting bill that got introduced in the state Senate in 
Vermont, and it's suggesting that it's it be illegal for anyone under the age of 21 to use or possess a cell phone. <laughs> okay. You didn't know where I was going with uh, that one, did you? I didn't know where you were going with that one. So, uh, exactly. How I don't know. I guess how do you enforce that? Do you, I guess you have to geotarget. You would have to give away a lot of personal information. Mm-hmm. The bill would make and, use of it punishable by a maximum of a year behind bars and a thousand dollar fine. It said that cell phone use while driving is one of the leading killers of teenagers. It also said young people use cell phones frequently to bully and threaten each other. Something that has been linked to suicides. They really think this is going to work to stop that? Uh, well, uh, what do you think? We, of course, it won't work. It never does, does it? No, it never works. So I, I'm curious how you. I mean, I guess you'd have to enforce it by you. You don't let young people buy a phone, but that I'm guessing if the parents give them a phone, then the parent becomes. Like the whole family goes to jail? Is that how that works? You know, I don't know. I mean, the the representative uh, that introduced the bill says, I have, you know, he has no delusions of it going to pass. He goes, I probably wouldn't even vote for it myself. But he just goes on to talk about, and maybe this is just this virtual, virtue signaling, how he said a cell phone is at times much more dangerous than a gun. Yes, and sometimes a wading pool in the backyard is more dangerous than a gun. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, it's anything could be more dangerous than anything else given a certain set of circumstances. But, you know, it's it's so interesting to see that our, our government uh, elected officials that are better than us, that's why they got elected, uh, actually go to the trouble of drafting and uh, proposing a bill that they themselves wouldn't even vote for. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it's, it's, you're like the guy at the company meeting saying, I say free giraffes for everybody. Mm-hmm. I know it's not going to pass, but you put the suggestion box up there and I had to use it. Right. Uh, and not to mention, <laughs> I do not want a free giraffe in my backyard. No, 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 no. I mean, Michael Jackson is the only person I know. I don't know him, but he had one, right? He yeah, yeah, he had one. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I, I, I hear they're expensive. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I understand that there is uh, parents that feel their children are bullied by uh, social media and cell phones and everything else. And they're probably trying to look for ways to let kids be kids. And there's nothing wrong with that. But it does seem yeah. that kids get cell phones and, and media devices much earlier and younger every year. It's true. And, you know, being a parent of a nine and a 10 year old and wanting to, you know, well, let's just face it. I've said, nah, it's not going to happen until they're in their 30s or something like that. Uh, I start to see, you know, as when they get into their teenage years, more and more benefits of some communication with mom and dad. I mean, with an electronic device, you can track locations. Uh, you know, but there are responsibilities that go with it. But I, I've now come around a little bit and start to realize. There are lots of benefits, and, you know, so a law like that could certainly backfire. But, again, if we're trying to, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what the proper phrasing is, but you make the world perfect or uh, accident-proof or, you know, just trying to create some kind of utopia, this will have consequences, you know, that, A, it won't work, and, uh, you know, B, I certainly think it could actually make things worse because, Bullies are going to bully. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I think 
if you're saying by taking away the cell phones, these people won't bully, like, are you kidding me? Right. Bullies are bullies, and they'll get on a computer. They'll find a way. Uh, you know, they might do it the old-fashioned way, do it in person. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I was kind of a, a small, somewhat wimpy kid in school, and I just assumed that I might get picked on. In fact, I remember first day of school, I was like sixth grade. I, I walked up to the bully. I said, you know, you don't know me yet. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, here's, here's, here's my lunch money, and uh, same time tomorrow, same place. <laughs> Does that work for you? Good. I'll just drop it off. Have I'll a nice day. Right up. You, you like the little, you like the opaque envelopes where you can't see through them. You know, I know you're collected from a lot of people. Should I put my name on the envelope? So, yeah, bullies are going to bully. I, I don't think you'll solve the problem. Mm-hmm. But and I guess you're right. It's a virtue signal, and somebody can say, well, look, see how much I care. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, it's a part of growing up. I'm not a fan of bullying. I'm not a fan of kids being mean to each other. Uh, I think no. it is one of those unfortunate things. If you got teased a little bit, I think everybody gets gets teased. It's so unfortunate. When I think of, um, you know, the, the nerdy kids that got picked on, like, I don't know, Bill Gates. Um, yeah. I don't know. I think he did okay. Um, bounced back yeah. kind of nicely. Um you know, sometimes right. these, these people use the bullying and the teasing as something that kind of empowers them a little bit. It's like, ah, this isn't going to do me in. I'm, I'm fine. I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm okay with who I am. Uh, you know, I had a – and again, I, I, as you, as well as you, I'm not endorsing bullying or anything like that. But I have seen something like that. I, I had a friend, uh, Chuck, that I went to uh, high school with, and he was one of the shyest guys you'd ever meet. I mean, he was quiet. And didn't talk to people. And I remember seeing him uh, first summer break after his freshman year in college. And suddenly I meet this most amazingly gregarious guy walking up. Hey, I'm Chuck. I was like, what happened to you? He said, I got tired of being shy. I was missing out. And it finally hit me in college where everybody's having all this fun meeting people, making friends. And it forced me out of my shell. And so he became this opposite person to what he was. And I think we've all you know, seen that you know, people can sometimes take the, the I don't know, it's a, not a setback necessarily in life, but something that might be an area that uh, they're weak in. And suddenly it becomes their strongest suit. Yeah. And I think I'm thinking of your friend and there's a difference between listening to yourself or talking to yourself. I think there's a great spiritual principle in here somewhere. But if you listen to yourself, you're going to could be could be kind of paralyzed with a lot of dark thoughts. If you speak God's truth to yourself and you speak positive, biblical, sound, solid truth to yourself, you can be in a much different place. I mean, he decided that I'm not going to be I don't need to be this shy person anymore. And he somehow spoke enough truth into his, his, his life to say, I don't have to stay here. Yeah. I have a saying, uh, it, it, and it's very simple. When you, uh, when you speak, you repeat what you already know. When you listen, you learn. And that's applicable to listening to God's Word. Uh, sometimes it's not just a matter of reading it. It's like really hearing it mm-hmm. because that's where, that's where the life-changing stuff is, 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 you know, what's being said to me right now? God's speaking to me through these words. You know, that's somebody else talking to me. This isn't just reading a book passively. This is actually listening to the voice of God. It's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah, it is. It really is. So 
not because I want to talk about this, but I think I should mention it because you live in, in Des Moines and you live in Iowa and you're on boots on the ground kind of person. What kind of conversation is happening in in the community regarding all of the uh, political candidates that are there and all the ads that are you're getting blitzed with, not only on television but also in the mail and on emails? Yeah, everybody can't wait till they leave. Okay, <laughs> you know it's uh, it's interesting. Because, you know, I'm not registered as a Democrat, so I don't get the mailings. But my friends that are registered as Democrats, they say you should see my mailbox because there's still. You know, eight to well, there's whatever twelve still kind of in the running, and there's probably eight that have decent enough poll numbers to be considered a possibility. It's daily, six to ten pieces wow. of mail, and the airwaves. And I found out an interesting thing, and I think we talked about this, and I was wrong about uh, that. The uh, political campaigns jack up the rates for advertising on TV. They actually get the lowest rate. But they can lock out uh, Joe's break shop in town. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know the TV stations and radio stations have to give them the airtime, their political ads, so they get first shot at buying up the space. Wow! So and I bet they it, buy it, it all, don't they? They buy it all, and it's already started. Where it's six commercials in a row, and sometimes you'll see the same commercial in 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 a uh, in a commercial chunk. You'll see, you know. Two for Elizabeth Warren, like three segments apart, but it's the exact same commercial. It's like, are you? I can do these commercials now. <laughs> so you get the same commercial twice in that one commercial chunk, just one commercial break, divvied yeah. up by other political ads. Right. So it's Warren, uh, Booty Judge, Biden, Warren again, Caulfield <laughs> runs some. You just go. This is amazing, and they all and they're all the same. They all have that very that soaring music. And they're very vague. They say, let's – they can't say let's make America great again. That one's been taken. But let's let's go back to when America was great. How about <laughs> – <laughs> Yeah. So it's, it's tiring. And yeah. You, what's really – what ends up happening is you just turn everything off. Well, I saw – And you say just – yeah. Yeah. I saw the jobs report today that said that there's right now 7 million jobs out there that can't be filled because there's not qualified people to go do them. Yeah, and yet these commercials you see on TV are saying it's really bad out there. And I got a lot of my friends are scratching their heads saying, oh, it's pretty good for me, but I, I don't want to say anything because I don't know. They keep telling me it's not as good as I think it is. Right. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, you, you just you get to the point where you, you just since we opened with the Wizard of Oz, you, you, you want to take the whole, you know, you want to take Auntie M. And you want to go down to the cellar and just wait till the typhoon passes. <laughs> and you got to hope that the house is still standing when you come back up for air. Yeah. Patrick, thanks so much for doing the show. Awfully nice to chat with you on Mondays. Uh, appreciate it and have a good day. Thanks for having it. You bet. Be on. Of course, Bye. Patrick Albanese has been my guest, my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. Let's take a little break, and we will be right back.
Welcome back to the show. I'm awfully glad to be welcoming back into the studio Joanne Pittman. She's the senior vice president of China Source and editor of ZG Briefs. China Source is an amazing ministry that helps connect uh, and engage people in the Christian communities inside China and around the world and helping them to serve the Chinese church and its society. She just got back from five days in China. She said she popped over to China for five days. Who pops over to China for five days? Joanne Pittman does. Joan, welcome back. Thank you. It's nice to be here. Yeah, give us an update on your trip in December. Uh, well, I went back. I uh, just spent uh, five days. I was on the ground for five, five and a half days in Beijing. Mm-hmm. To go back and visit friends because I lived there for I lived in Beijing for 15 years, so I had friends that I wanted to see, and and also in my work of kind of following China, what's happening there. I spent a lot of time reading about China, and uh, and I remembered from when I lived there that what I read about China and China experienced on a day to day basis were often quite different. So I um, I thought it would be a good opportunity to go back and just kind of see China and connect with friends and. And um, and just kind of experience China for myself as opposed to just what I read. Right. And if you are interested, you can go to chinasource.org and you can subscribe to uh, the blog and the ZG Briefs. And it's for those who really want to keep up on what's going on in China and maybe don't have uh, all the information, but you do a wonderful job here on the website. Thank you. Keeping people informed. And there's lots of great stories. Thank you. Um, what are some of the hot topics going on right now? Um, well, I think one of the one of the big uh, things that we're following and people are following out of China, the big, the big stories is, as, as it relates to Christianity, is that the uh, political environment is getting much tighter, and there are more restrictions on uh, on Christianity, not just Christianity, but there there are more restrictions on every aspect of life in China, and uh, that is that is affecting the churches and affecting. Um, other religious other religious activities too and so after about a 15 to 20 year period of increasing openness and increasing um, space for religious affairs and religious practice and belief in China of those of that space expanding the last five years have seen a contraction of that space so we're kind of you know looking at that and what does that mean what 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 were Christians doing 10 years ago that it's harder to do now and so um, so that's that's one of the that's one of the things we're following is how how is the this new, what we call the new normal for, mm-hmm. for life in China for everybody right um, how is it affecting Christians and, and local believers in the churches Joanne can you give an a, an example of we used to do it this way and now it's being done this way anything yes, pop uh, into mind yes I can I would say um, really in the in the the during the two thousands and early twenty um, tens I guess that's how we call it. What we saw in China, particularly for the unregistered churches, which are technically illegal, there was a tolerance afforded them by the Chinese government. It was kind of like, um, look, if you don't get too big, if you don't cause yeah. trouble for us, we'll kind of leave you alone. Uh-huh. Don't don't challenge us too much. Don't threaten us. And we'll kind of leave you alone. So we saw the growth of, particularly in the urban areas, unregistered, quote-unquote, illegal churches that were really functioning quite openly, and they were getting large they were renting office space. They were maybe having gathering four or five hundred people for a service, um, you know, in a rented space every week, and and uh, that has become much more difficult because the government has new regulations which they're enforcing, which is that if you're an unregistered, not legal entity, you can't go out and rent something. So, mm. um, 
unregistered churches that had gotten large and were meeting in large groups, they're having now to meet in smaller groups of 20 or 30 people and uh, and that they're having to make that adjustment. Mm-hmm. I don't mean to sound too stupid, but these unregistered churches, you have 500, four or 500 people attending. How do you go from being unregistered to getting registered? Well, that's part of the problem is that the government sort of says to them, well, you can register, but then the government, the conditions that they put for registration is to to attach yourself or put yourself under the supervision of a political, a government agency mm-hmm. that's um, under the under the uh, supervision of the Communist Party. You have to you have to ally your attach yourself to them in order to get registration. And many of the these unregistered uh, what we call house churches, um, they don't want to do that because they feel like then they would be putting themselves under the direct supervision of of the Communist Party and the yeah. government. So there's a real, real strong resistance that's been in place for 70 years to do wow. that. Is there constant um, eavesdropping going on at these services? I mean, is, is the Communist China listening in? Well, the the um, China really has become a surveillance state. There's constant surveillance everywhere. I always tell people when they're getting ready to go to China is that if you once you step outside of your hotel room, you're not on you're not not on camera. So right. everything there are surveillance cameras. I would say there's no inch of Beijing that's not covered by a surveillance camera. You know, and the government's like this is for security, and you know we we're trying to stop jaywalking, mm-hmm. which is you know people are like yeah let's stop jaywalking. That's you know we're trying to um, control you know petty crime and things like that. So. Um, surveillance is just a part of life in China, and um, and most of these unregistered churches in this during the era when it was more open and the government was more tolerant, they weren't even trying to you know hide. They like have websites here. Our church is meeting here, and oh, wow. everybody's welcome. So everybody just always assumes in China that the security forces know everything that's happening. Okay, it's pretty much impossible to hide from the from the state. Yeah, in China. So let me ask what could be another dumb question. And that is why the Chinese uh, Communist Party will view religious um, organizations and beliefs as a threat. Because the Chinese Communist Party, um, they they claim their legitimacy on the ideology of communism, and they've built, you know, a Marxist state. Although it's you know kind of become a communist Marxist, you know, a, a capitalist Marxist state, and so for them. Um, they they historically have said communism as an ideology, that one has to be at the center. And they view, the Communist Party views religious belief, whether it's Buddhism or Islam or Christianity, uh, Protestant or Catholicism, they view it as an ideology and therefore a potential competition and a potentially competing ideology. Mm. And they just don't want any competition in the ideological sphere. And so I think when they look at particularly Protestant Christianity, which has grown so much over the last 30 years, we don't know how many Protestant Christians there are in China. I'm going to say it's between 30 and 80 million. (laughs) But even if you take the higher estimate of, say, 80 million Protestant Christians in China, that's the same number as members of the Chinese Communist Party. And so they're they're like, whoa, so we got as many people who believe in that ideology as we've got running the country. So so they they, they view it as a, a threatening ideology. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I know you're over there in December, and I know we're well past Christmas, but I am kind of curious as what Christmas would look like over there. Well, Christmas in China is interesting because officially it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's not a holiday. It's not a day off Why of would it? Right. Yeah. Because if you have the Communist Party, they say we're atheists. Atheism right. is what we believe. So Christmas has no no place, official place in Chinese society. During the last 20 years, when there was an era of more openness, um, they also figured out that you could make a lot of money during Christmas. And so it became a big commercial event. And so um, in Beijing, the stores, the shopping malls, everything would be festooned with Christmas trees and everybody wears a Santa hat. And there was just a lot of visible expression of the secular side of Christianity or of Christmas, but it was more as like, Hey, we can get people to go shopping Mm -hmm. here. And um, in fact, I remember one time being in a, in a super, in a department store in Beijing on Christmas Eve. And I overheard these two young men talking and they were like, this guy was like, Oh, you know, I've got to buy my wife a Christmas present. Tomorrow's (laughs) Christmas. I've got to buy her. He said, I don't even know what Christmas is, but I know if I don't buy her a present, I'm going to be in big trouble. Oh, wow. And um, so in secular society, it's just kind of, you know, Santas and stuff. Um, and But I did notice when I was in Beijing a month ago, I saw a lot less visible expression of Christmas, fewer trees, fewer decorations. The churches, however, take Christ, uh, Christmas as a, they view it as a really evangelistic opportunity. So the registered churches have big programs, and they know people will will visit a church on Christmas or Christmas Eve out of curiosity. So they they say, well, this is an opportunity. We can get people into the churches and share the gospel with them. Unregistered churches, where they can, they'll have parties and try to, to use it as an evangelistic outreach to mm-hmm. their friends and neighbors. That's wonderful. Mm-hmm. Joanne Pittman is my guest. She's Senior Vice President of China Source. You can go to chinasource.org. Org, Chinasource.org. We'll take a short break. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. So glad to have Joanne Pittman back in studio. Fresh from a trip to China, she lived there for 15 years and is the senior vice president over at China Source and editor of ZG Briefs. China Source is an amazing ministry that helps connect uh, and engage people in the Christian communities inside China and around the world and helping them to serve the Chinese church and its society. She just got back from five days in China. So one thing I've heard you say, Joanne, and I always kind of chuckle when I hear it, is when you talk about China, you say, it's complicated. Yes. <laughs> and to the average person, uh, we're so, with a curious mind, we want to know more what that means. Well, um, I think I think China, I mean, every place is complicated, but there's just so many things that to a Western mind seem contradictory that are all in one place. And I'm just going to give you an example and... Um, uh, you can go to chinasource.org, and it was my blog post on our on our website, I believe, last Friday. And um, I think it was even under the title, China is Complicated. I have a picture that I took in Beijing last month, and it was outside of a registered church, one of the largest ones in Beijing. And in this one photograph, here's what I captured. There was a there was a flagpole in the plaza with the with the flag of the of the country, the red flag. Right behind that is a giant cross. Right behind that is in neon letters, both in Chinese and English, Christian Church. Off to the side is a propaganda poster congratulating China on its 70th anniversary back in October. There's a surveillance camera, and there's a giant Santa Claus at the entrance to the church. So I think that captures it. But then inside, I went into the service, and inside the sermon was on when you come to Jesus, when you follow Jesus, there's going to be a cost. And the gospel was preached. Mm -hmm. And so that's complicated because most Western brains is like, wait a minute. It's in a communist country. How can they preach the gospel? It's a registered church. How can they preach the gospel? Why is Santa there? Why do they have the flag there? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Surveillance. Oh, everybody is under... Everybody's under surveillance, but the message inside the church was to a full, you know, I would say maybe a thousand people in the in the service was following Jesus means a cost. So to me, I just looked at that and said, yep, China's complicated. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. That's an interesting uh, combination of things, a Chinese national flag, a neon sign, a giant cross, a political banner next to the church, surveillance camera, and Santa. <laughs> and the gospel. And the gospel, which is fantastic. Right. Now, when you hear gospel presentations, uh, what is the difference between a gospel presentation you might hear in China and one you would hear here in the States? There's really not There's really not a, a okay. whole lot of difference. I mean, they were, you know, it's the, the, the sermons that I've heard in the registered churches and um, my friends who are in the unregistered churches, the gospel is the gospel. It's Jesus. It's 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 the message of the cross. Right. Um, and I would say in, in among churches in China, both registered and unregistered, there is a um, um, they, 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 they talk a lot about the cross because it. of suffering. Mm-hmm. And the Chinese church has experience with suffering. And so the cross is very dear to them. And so they love hymns and songs about the cross because mm-hmm. that has historically been the experience in China. I'm just wondering, Joanne, when you talk about, you know, following Jesus, there will be a price to pay. 
means something different over there, doesn't it? It does, and that's and why it does you here. know. That's why I was wondering. We don't hear that as often. No, we don't want to scare you away from coming next right. week. And and that was why it was so interesting for me because you know we're following stories of increased persecution and increased tightening and rest- more and more restrictions and uh, and government interference in in religious affairs in in China. Yet I went and I heard the gospel being preached and sort of acknowledge. I mean, they didn't come right out and say, you know, the government's going to go out. But it was that was the message that, you know, we don't come to Jesus to get good grades, mm-hmm. to, you know, to make our life easier. It's yeah. going to be harder. So tell me about evangelism in China. I would assume, and of course, I don't know even why I'm assuming anything, but it takes a lot of individuals who have come to saving faith in Christ that are there going to be the next set of boots on the ground. Right. It it does. And I think, um, you know, if you look at the growth of the church in China since 1949, really, maybe since the open era in the late 1970s, early 80s, you know, if you assume a, if you assume a middle of the road estimate of 30 to 50 million people, um, that's happened through evangelism, Chinese telling their friends and neighbors mm-hmm. about Christ. Yes, there have been foreigners working in China, but it's primarily the Chinese church itself that is doing the evangelistic work, and and um, and evangelism is is um, it's taught. It's you know, tell your friend, tell your family, tell your friends and neighbors. Don't be afraid to talk to your coworkers about Jesus. These are sermons that I've heard um, over the years in China, and messages that I've heard both in the unregistered and the registered settings. Mm-hmm. And um, because, you know, bigger things like, you know, crusades and um, evangelistic radio and television and stuff, that's not available. So it Mm. really is. And it's relational. Chinese culture is relational. So you often hear stories of when one person becomes a Christian, usually within 10 years, everybody in the family is Christian. So Mm -hmm. it's because it's a a family is so strong. uh, The relationship is so strong in China. Mm -hmm. This might be another dumb question, but because you say China is complicated, I guess I have some grace, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. Let's say I land in Beijing and I pull out my smartphone. Can I download a Bible app? Um, I think so. That that's one of those things that's changing. There is a there are um, there's a very popular Chinese Bible app that has been. I think it's been downloaded. What did I read recently? Ten million. Mm, Maybe it's start. more than that. But. It reached a point where the government sort of got nervous that there were so many, and so they've been trying to block it. But then, but what happens in China is if a website or an app gets blocked, it kind of pops up somewhere else. And so there's a lot of sort of cat and mouse games that are played with the authorities. But um, I didn't try to download it the last time I was there because I already have it on my phone. Okay. But I did talk recently with a friend who lived there and said, oh, yeah, it's still available. So, So technically in China, anybody who has a smartphone, which is... Almost everybody mm-hmm. um, has, you know, potentially has access to the Bible. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to figure if there is a way to access Christian teaching or, ra- or radio. Yes. Um, yeah. And, th- and this is, again, the complicated nature because the Communist Party tries to maintain very strict controls over media and over what's, you know, information. But at the same time, there are um, China uses WeChat, which is their own social media platform mm-hmm. that kind of re- Everything happens on it, and there are lots and lots, hundreds of public accounts run by Christians where there are daily devotionals or there are, you know, more uh, theological journals. There are Bible verses. There are 
Christian praise and worship stuff that is still access is 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 still accessible, mm-hmm. which again is kind of like well that doesn't really that doesn't fit with what I've heard or what I've read, and so I you know I was in China. Well, what's still available? Well, there's a lot still available mm-hmm. online, and uh, still um, people can access a lot of theological and Christian materials that are that are produced outside mm-hmm. of China. And Joanne, how are Christian teachers, ministers, pastors? How are they getting? equipped to be um, doing their job and not that I'm not suggesting they they need coaching and teaching, but we all need to be trained and taught and yeah, discipled. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, most people who do work uh, with a church in China would say leadership training is a big deal. If you're in the registered churches, there's a, there's a series or there's a, um, a network of uh, official seminaries that people go to, but it's undergraduate work. Most people in the unregistered churches, they have, they have these uh, unregistered quote-unquote, underground seminaries that they have for training. Some people go abroad and get training in Singapore or Taiwan or places like that. Some some places offer online. I, I think Dallas uh, Seminary offers an online course that's accessible um, to people in China. So there's a, a variety of ways, but there's only one sort of official way, and that's the, the government-run seminaries. But most in the house churches would, would find other ways. Mm-hmm. I know you lived there for 15 years, and you were just there for five days. What was your heart saying to you in five days after having lived there for 15 years? Um, I think, you know, on a personal level, Beijing had changed a lot. They've, they've sort of cleaned up the city, so it wasn't you know, like the street vendors were gone and mm-hmm. things like that. That was that was disappointing. I think for me, the, the what, what I came away with is that, Yes, you know, all the people that I talked to was like, yes, things are tighter, things are much harder, there's much more restrictions, but God's, God's sovereign. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I got, came away feeling like, you know, the people that I knew were living in, you know, Habakkuk. There's no, yet, there's no, f- the, the, grass, the grass withers, yet I will rejoice. Right. And that's kind of the, the, the sense that I was, that I came away with. And it was just five days and a few people, but, um, so God's not, God hasn't forgotten about China. Mm-hmm. God's still sovereign in China. I so appreciate, uh, Joanne, your heart. And every time I get a chance to talk to you, I start to think more globally, which I don't Thank do you. quite as often. Um, That's okay. Because you try to think of the circle of influence you have mm-hmm. and the fact, the fact I can get on the radio every day and who knows who I'm reaching. Mm-hmm. But then I talk to you and you go and live in Beijing for 15 years and you're making an impact in another country. That's very cool. We're all called to different things. I know we are, but I'm just, I'm, I'm trying to say I'm very inspired by your ministry and your life. Thank you. Yeah, Joanne Pittman's been my guest. If you want to go to chinasource.org, you can sign up to uh, subscribe to the blog and you can be kept up to date on what's going on over in China among the ministry and all of the believers over there. We're going to take a short break and when we come back, we're going to be joined uh, full hour with Ruth Graham. She's written an amazing book called Forgiving My Father, Forgiving Myself. I love Acts 4.12. I think of this all the time. This is a great memory verse of mine. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. What a powerful verse. I love that. So we will take a short break and be back with more in just a minute. Lots more.
Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.